Hi there, I'm Jake Humphrey and this is High Performance, the award-winning podcast that reminds you it's already within. Greetings to our listeners right across the world who tune in to us every week so we can be your armour, your partner, your guide in a world that often feels so negative, so divisive and so confused. Look, we really hope these conversations remind you of your power, of your potential, what all of us are capable of. So right now, please allow myself and Professor Damien Hughes to unlock the mind of a fascinating musician. Today, this awaits you. I've noticed like as I'm chasing these ideas, there's always this ghost behind me, like this dark shadow that's like trying to tell me all the usual things. Right. Now you're not going to do that. Like, you're not good enough. You're shit. I was just mad depressed. I was did Brixton Academy. I By that time sold like, I don't know, 35 million records or something. But I just like felt so uninspired and I didn't like music anymore. I think abandonment was important for me because you learn to self-sustain. My abandonment started, I guess you could argue, when my biological father dipped. But what moves the needle is making music, and that's how we speak to people. That is what gives us the most joy. So I follow that joy, and I make the critical decisions to allow me to be in that joy as much as possible. So today we welcome to the High Performance Podcast, Jax Jones, or to give him his real name, Timuchin. Now, um... Timuchin or Jax is best known for being a DJ and working with the likes of, well, basically everyone. Whitney Houston, Demi Lovato, Ed Sheeran, Mark Ronson, Mabel, years and years. You name it, Jax has done it. He's also been selected recently to work with the Princess of Wales campaign, supporting the development of young children. He owns his own record label. He's also a parent, a partner, a son. And he's so much more than you think. This is a really moving conversation. This is not a conversation with a musician about music. This is a conversation with a human being who just so happens to produce music. We talk about his upbringing. We talk about some really difficult times. Um, It's an incredibly moving conversation. All three of us had tears in our eyes at one point. I just want to say a really big thanks, actually, to Timuchin for being brave enough to come onto this podcast and tell the real truth, the real truth about life in the music industry, the real truth about facing challenges, the real truth about vulnerability. There is still not enough vulnerability in this world. The more vulnerable we are, the more honest we are, and the more honest we are, the more people can get to know the real us. And I think getting to know the real person, not the image that is shown publicly, is what this podcast is all about. So once again, I can't thank you enough for coming along for another episode of the High Performance Podcast. You are going to get plenty out of this one. Honestly, it's an absolute cracker. So sit back, enjoy, as we welcome Timuchin Lam, aka Jax Jones, to the High Performance Podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Thanks for being with us. Pleasure, man. What, in your mind, represents high performance? You're going to ask me this first start. I was getting ready for it at the end. (laughs) Uh, High performance to me is now in 2023 because it kind of changes because I don't think I'm finished figuring things out, but giving everything you have to my family and my career and the people around me, even when you don't feel like you have anything left, just keep going. So let's talk about that then, because the first thing you say is high performance now represents something to me. So how different would the answer have been if I was talking to you and you were 18 years old? 18 year old Jax Jones was similar but I could be more selfish because I didn't have a family so it was all about spending hours and sacrificing like a lot of different experiences that your normal 18 year old should be having to chase something that a dream that everyone kind of didn't want you to have really what was the dream I wanted to be a musician when people talk about being a musician they say like, oh, do you know, I just fell in love with music or they have a, a memory associated with it. Like, yeah, when my dad gave me this guitar or I heard Bob Dylan and it just changed my life. Music to me was a way out. It was a way to mean something in this world and a way to change my circumstances, really. So what were those circumstances? Well, at 18 years old, I had quite a turbulent family relationship. So kind of your classic story. I didn't really know my dad, early doors. And uh, it was me and my mum for a few years. And then uh, I had a stepdad. And uh, the family structure was a kind of a gift and a curse. And that's kind of like the paradox that runs through my life. And at 18, I was going to uni because I was academic. I was very academic. But... At home every day was incredibly chaotic and turbulent between me and my stepdad, basically. And I was kind of like the butt of most of the problems in in the house. And I had this idea that if I could get rich, if I could be successful, no one can touch you no more, man. And so like kind of the reason why I call it a gift and a curse is because you kind of, it makes you just an absolute warrior. Because it just buries this like 
desire so deep, so intertwined with your like sense of self. But at the same time, I remember when I got like later in life, when I all kind of like, I was like, shit, I've kind of done it now. It kind of like, fuck, what, what was it all for? Do you know what I'm saying? So it, it was a, it's a, it, it's an interesting thing to look back on now. And it's sweet because I can, I've had the benefit where I can kind of look at it and with achieving certain things. But yeah, 18 was a mad time. <laughs> and we'll talk about reflecting in a minute because you wrote this amazing manifesto. Um, which we're going to talk about and talk about in detail where it came from and why you did it. But this energy from the sort of traumatic experiences as a young person is really interesting. I, I saw a, a quote the other day from someone saying, people who've been through a trauma or had really deep challenges in their life, if they channel it in the right direction, can have an energy and a desire that people who've lived a simpler life just can never recreate. Do you understand that? Yes. I'm exploring that still I personally believe that and I've anecdotally in most of the successful like highly charged I guess high performing people it's not just like it's people that you just like how do they just where do they get all this energy from why are they so good do you know what I'm saying why is it they deliver usually there's some sort of stress or trauma that's occurred that's caused them to be like that and it becomes the driving force for everything and so I wholeheartedly agree with that, man. And well, if you, that's if a really it's interesting like a, point, though, Tim, because like we often talk about that energy either comes from moving away from something that might be traumatic or or harrowing, like you've described, or it's moving towards something that you're really passionate about. And it seems like you met somewhere in that sweet spot of wanting to escape from your circumstances, but you've also discovered an identity that you wanted to move towards. I think it's it's the kind of like the things that are around at the time and it's kind of why I'm doing this that kind of nostalgic tinged music that I'm doing now because it's like during the two, late 2000s around 2005 onwards and so this sort of I finished secondary school going into uni and all that kind of stuff this was the rise of the super producer this was I used to be reading the Source magazine XXL and these were hip hop import like uh, magazines and hip hop for me was like my dad do you know what I mean? It, these were like men that you'd see looking like they've just won. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And the music, like people like Jay-Z or there was Pharrell from the Neptunes. And it was around the time that people who made music, especially the producers, were the front of it. I remember the Neptunes had like, at one year, like 25 songs on the radio at like one time. And they were, they had the world applauding them at the same time whilst being able to kind of live their life to a certain extent so to me I was chasing that idea whilst trying to run from everything else because I've noticed like as I'm chasing these ideas there's always this ghost behind me like this dark shadow that's like trying to tell me all the usual things well, now you're not gonna do that like you're not good enough you're shit do you know what I'm saying oh you've upset that person that person's gonna hate you for the rest of your life or you didn't deliver on that thing so now you fucked it do you know what I mean you never and but the the wonderful thing about that shadow which is why I call it a gift and a curse is because it makes you go extra hard so I'm never not prepared I'm always thinking about how I'm coming across I can read the room because of my experiences growing up 
my analysis of body language is so deep in me. I can like sense the temperature of a room. So in my job as a music producer, like I can work with people and get the best out of things and really build beautiful relationships very quickly. Yep. But at the same time, that same voice is, can rip them apart. Do you know what I'm saying? Because it, 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 it doesn't, it will always drive me to whatever it thinks is my goal at that time ruthlessly and so it causes this effect where you burn hot and then you could just disappear basically i mean there's so much to unpick on that <laughs> on its own but like have you got a week <laughs> yeah bro <laughs> no but we here <laughs> well I mean, I, mean, I mean one of the things that you spoke up there about being able to read the temperature of a room sort of takes me into the area of exploring the ghosts of our childhood that often rattle around our adult bodies and i'm wondering is your ability to read body language so acutely down to the fear of upsetting people in your own environment and making a mistake and the consequences of what could follow from that? That's exactly it. Like it through my teens. So we had my stepdad is Nigerian and my mum's Chinese. And then I'm Turkish and Chinese. And I had a younger brother who's Nigerian and Chinese. So it's a, it's a mixed household. With that comes cultural differences and also just stepdad things and all of that. I want to make sure as well when I do these things that I don't talk bad on people because I think when you're exploring your truths publicly, sometimes you can't take back something you said 10 years ago. So I, I only want to give you facts. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So in the house, they used to argue and... It would be a lot, my stepdad, his feelings about situations would control what we, had, what we did in the house. Do you know what I mean? A lot of it would be between me and him. So perhaps I haven't done something to an optimum level for his or he, it would be, could be the smallest thing. And it would be, create this cycle where he would just take it all out on me or my mum. And so there would become this idea where, all right, my mum would say to me, I need you to go and apologize or I need you to go and make this right so that we can continue to be a family. And so it just gets you, it just seasons you. What age are you at this time? This was from like, from eight to like, it, it was still happening in my adult life, to be honest with you. But and only recently old, I've started you know, to like trim it down. Kids. That is an incredible pressure, responsibility and an emotional weight around the neck of an eight-year-old to say, this family is reliant upon you going and doing the right thing when you've got two adults in the house who yeah. we all now know are the first ones that should turn around and go, let's solve this. Not uh, not ask the eight-year-old to solve the problem. Yeah, I hear that. And I, I've got a daughter now and, um, you know, I'm always checking my the way I approach things because it can creep out. But at a child, and I'm doing my work with the, you know, uh, the Prince and Princess of Wales about shaping us with these young minds. And I understand the psychology of a child where they... Even up to 21, you ain't got the cognitive ability to deal with certain things. You're still impulsive. You're still working out the world. You're you're not an adult yet, you know? So yeah, eight years old, it was a lot of stress. Uh, one of my earliest memories was being like in the therapy when I was like, I had to draw a picture or something in King's College and talk about how I feel and all that. <laughs> how did you end up in therapy? Was that a and My mum took me there. Your mum took you? Yeah. My mum was what you'd call like a tiger mum. She has her own story. Do you know what I mean? She come here, she came when she was 18 and 
she's from like a really nice middle class background in uh, Malaysia. But she came here and just didn't go back to Malaysia really. And she met my dad and then, you know, and we got to where we were. So for her, the idea she said to me was, you need to be successful. Do you know what I mean? Like, you need to give everything. This is a common thing. You know, whatever you do, you smash it. You be the best in that room. You work harder than everyone else. You are smarter than everyone else. But the gift and the curse is then you got this idea where, well, if I'm not, then I'm fucked. Yeah. And so I'm shit. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, so that, that, in, I mean, there's no middle ground for me. Well, Do you know what I'm saying? Well, well, even that comment you said about if we're going to function as a family depends on you doing it. It's quite, it's quite a dramatic, it's, it's an all or nothing comment, isn't it? It's yeah, not yeah. That it might be uncomfortable for a few days. It's this family can't exist unless you, unless you do there's that. There's no like middle of the road conversations happening here, yeah. is it? There's either horrendous, you're awful or Tim, you're amazing. What are you going to do with it? That's, this is it. That's a challenge. Yeah. And that becomes a story of your life. Would you be sitting here if it wasn't for those messages at that age? Nah. Which takes us on to this manifesto, right? Because I feel that this document that you created is all about this upbringing that is the energy now that drives Jax Jones. Yeah. We've got it. Would you mind, for the people who are listening to this podcast thinking, this manifesto, what is this? Would you mind just first of all sharing how it came about? So it's 2020, lockdown hit. And I remember literally I was performing at Brixton Academy We'd sold it out. And I remember I made this valiant fist towards COVID. I said, well, it's not. I thought I was Liam Gallagher. So it's not going to take us down. It was a bit of a joke, really. And then the world stopped. And then I took three weeks off. And then I, we had our, my first daughter on the way. And I started to think about being a father and how to approach that. And then I was just mad depressed. I was did Brixton Academy. I by that time sold like, I don't know, 35 million records or something. But I just like felt so uninspired and I didn't like music anymore. And I don't know, I didn't know why I was doing it anymore. And then I was up in Grimsby, which is where my wife's family's from. And um, it's super quiet there. So I just started doing some therapy, uh, just trying to figure it out. And also trying to unpack things so that I could be the best that I could be. So when you say therapy, what do, what type of intervention? So it started off as like some sort of training. So it was like finding your values, you know, okay. this kind of thing. But then I realized, I felt like it was a bit surface level. Like uh, I just felt like I was given tropes that you could just yeah. find in a book. So then I started with a therapist, shout out to Adam. <laughs> and he he's from a band. So he understood some of the uh, idiosyncrasies of the music industry. And it was weekly sessions, chat. We explored, we still explore just my upbringing, my approach. And I remember I said to him, bruv, why don't I like music anymore? He's like, I'm not a coach. Because <laughs> at first I tried to yeah. like, well, link you, it in to perform better. Answers, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And you realise when you go to therapy, this person's not going to give me answers. No. I have to find this stuff out for myself. Well, the, the, what I see therapy is now, it ain't nothing to do with the answers. That's why I was saying to you when we first spoke is like, this is what I think today. It's more about the physical experience of being in an environment where someone is safe and you can discuss things and there's no 
bias there. It's just a reflection. So you can kind of, that biological shift, it's like updating my parts to be like, oh, well, I've had an experience where I can communicate this and I'm not going to get my head chopped off. Okay, maybe it is safe. And then, you know, that constant, you know, weekly regroup on it allows you to experience life with that counterpoint. And it was, it's sick, man. Like, now I like music again, man. I'm, I'm, I'm banging out the songs again, man. I'm enjoying it. So it kind of led me to that manifesto. It was it, through doing the therapy, basically. So look, we could read it out, but it wouldn't be in our voice would you be happy to read it out for the people listening to this so they can all right cool how does it feel doing this feels weird man i've extremely guarded not in person as you can see but i think i'm in, in guarded in my career because i think this idea of having to project perfectionism so then in order to protect that i don't say anything really i don't want people to know what i'm really like because perhaps they won't like it so it so, feels weird that so i'm about did, to read this why did today. this go public then <laughs> i was desperately trying to give a bit more of myself away to almost say to myself that it's okay yeah and it's led me to this moment so it must have been okay shall we read it yeah all right dear friends it's jacks slash timachin i'm releasing a new song it marks the end of the most transformative time of my life from my debut single i got you in 2013 to the Snacks album in 2019, I've connected with billions of people, built a beautiful music family around the world. The young Timochin could never have imagined that any of this success was possible because I was born at the bottom of the pile and abandoned multiple times. Music was the only way I could see to change my world for the better. And now you guys have made my dreams come to life. Thank you. But what the fuck do I do now? I felt an urge to give back to my fans and I want my music to exist for a reason. So this past year, I did a lot of soul searching. I became a father and faced down my past demons. These are crazy times where people are also rebuilding their lives around the world. We aren't out of this yet, but personally, when I broke through the other side of my darkness, I found joy. Happiness is rooted in a circumstance, but joy is unwavering. Next, I started asking, how do I put that feeling into music? And how can I put narrative into music that's supposed to just make you dance? So I listened to the music that made me who I am and I remembered how it made me feel, the escapism, hope and freedom. Welcome to deep joy, brackets a new era. The tunes coming are shaped by joy, not trends, made for the good times and the bad. And real soon we'll play all this music together in a field somewhere as loud as we can and dance like our lives depend on it. Everyone is invited. This new song is called Feels because this is how I feel right now. It's emotional reading that, bro. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. how, how does it feel? I feel... Slightly embarrassed. I feel slightly liberated. I feel like a part of me wants to box it in again. Yeah. I just feel. <laughs> yeah. But isn't this the the power of therapy, the power of challenging situations, the power of success, the power of becoming a parent, the power of trusting people, everything that you've just read there, you're not reading 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, because you're being told at that point, don't be you. And if you are going to be you, you is either useless and no good or you is amazing and wonderful. Mm. And actually what that is doing is saying, I am flawed, I struggle, I have bad times, I have good times. But I think the biggest thing that I get from hearing you read that is the optimism. I am optimistic. I, I hear you. And it's funny, I feel good hearing you say that. I need you to say that for me to feel optimistic about it. I think the question I was asking myself is, 
was I doing music for me or was I doing it music for my mum or my dad or this idea? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think when I wrote that letter, I realised that I, I do love making people happy with music and I love the idea of a blank page and you can craft something from nothing and it goes on to be someone's favourite song or a memory that they have or a defining moment in their life. That is incredible as a feeling. So like I, I come back to that and that, yeah, that is what ultimately what drives me now. But you could almost be describing your, yourself there. Yeah. <laughs> Coming from nothing, creating something from nothing. You know, this idea of being an important part of somebody's life. Describing <laughs> it's all a paradox, a, isn't it? <laughs> but it's fascinating. I mean, there's so much to unpack on that manifesto. I'm interested for people listening to this on, well, how can I get to a place where I would feel able like to that. be vulnerable or to make myself so candid in it? And I'm interested in that phrase that you said about, I was abandoned multiple times. Because I think... One of the biggest predictors in this day and age is of mental health issues is feeling isolated. And when you're writing that, you're going through a period of isolation that COVID enforced on us. But your abandonment, whether it's from your family, whether it's from the communities that you sought to mm. grow up in, tell us a little bit around what you've learned about abandonment and how we can overcome it. I think abandonment was important for me because you learn to self-sustain. I was literally talking about this the other week. My abandonment started, I guess you could argue, when my biological father dipped. And what age was that? 18 months. Like, apparently he took, you know, he cheated on my mum. They were together 10 years, and then I was born, then he, he left, like, like, within a couple of years. And apparently he took all like the presents that I got as a kid, uh, you know, the jewellery, you get a lot of jewellery. And then he sold it and got that as his ticket to get go back to Turkey. And I remember like just hearing them stories like now, you're just like, well, what, what happened there? And then we went to Malaysia because we were homeless, basically. Stayed with my grandparents there. And then a new guy comes into my life. And I remember, you know, that, feeling of it and I remember when my mum changed her surname and just all of that you just felt very isolated do you know what I'm saying and you kind of you're having to navigate that and then even into my adult life like that narrative follows you like so when I finished uni I got back and it was just so bad at home that I just had to leave we had a friend family friend that had a, a converted garage that they'd made into like a studio and luckily it was a family friend I didn't have to do any credit checks or anything I had like minus two thousand pound in my overdraft. Luckily, no interest. Big up the, uh, big up <laughs> Halifax, and uh, I had my student loan and all that. And I just went and lived there. I remember the rent was five hundred pound, and I managed to negotiate to four nine five. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking five pounds off, and then um, I was just in this garage, like on my own. And I just, I think, I felt really betrayed that just no one stood up for me. You just feel abandoned. You're just, I didn't realize it at the time that that garage, I was healing myself at the same time. 
Do you know what I'm saying? Well, tell us about that. You know, like you're there in the garage, you're feeling betrayed, abandoned. These are all quite heavy feelings to have to process in your early 20s. But you obviously did to be able to use it as a springboard to go on to the success you've enjoyed. So tell us what kind of processes you went through on that healing journey. So for me, I buried myself into my work and I put all that, energy of negativity into achieving what I needed to do. So it it became my fuel. I tried not to think too much about it really. I just would use every waking minute to try and have this idea that I was chasing to, to make it manifest itself. These are the practical aspects, you know, whether it was going out to meet people or practicing my instruments, practicing my craft, that 10,000 hours, you know, I did it leading up and then accelerated it in that point. I never said no to anything. Any opportunity was an opportunity for me to, to go another step. There was no ego in that, really. I didn't have any feelings of, oh, that's not me. There was just no choice. So I was playing in churches, trying to, you know, make money to pay for the next day's food. Do you know what I'm saying? I was sessioning at the time and I, I ran into an A&R that was looking after N-dubs. Oh, there, it was their manager at the time and N-dubs became my first job. And uh, I was started playing guitar for them and then I became the youngest like music director in the country for them. Like I remember their first tour, I had neurovirus, I was vomiting but I was programmed, I didn't know what I was doing. And I just, we made it happen. I was vomiting up the motorway to get to the gig and we played this show and I went and vomited straight afterwards. You just kept going and I lifted myself out of my overdraft to like 40 grand that year. Do you know what I mean? So I'd used it for fuel. You know what I mean? And I just, what I'm good at when it comes to these feelings is I just bury it and I get very, I got, I can be very cold. I can be very aloof. Because I'm not sure if you're going to abandon me. So those remnants are still there. But there is power in being comfortable with isolation and perhaps feeling like you can only depend on yourself. Yeah. So yeah, my advice to someone who has been abandoned is if you can use it positively, you kind of have a special power because you're like, you, you don't look for anyone to help you. You're just going to do it. Do you know what I mean? Enough, and it's because life or death at that point, really. This phrase, you just got to do it, right? Let's talk about what just doing it looks like from your perspective, because I think one thing that maybe we're guilty of on this podcast is not talking often enough about hard work, Mm. real, genuine hard work. I think sometimes there's a fear that it's an unhealthy thing to discuss, like, you know, to push people and drive people in this way. But we have to talk about it, right? So you've been abandoned to the point where you're living in a garage. But you've decided to still follow your dreams, which is incredible. And there'll be so many people listening to this who either are at that stage now, and this will help them hugely, or people who perhaps allowed their dreams to fade at that point. And maybe this is the conversation that hopefully reignites the dreams for them because it's never too late, right? So you've gone through all of this. Then you start to get these little bits of success. Yeah. It feels to me like there's no resting on laurels. There's no, oh, I've made it. It's almost the opposite. It's like, now I'm going to show you. Now all of those doubters, now all of those haters, now all of that criticism, now all of that pain, now 
you are going to see what I'm capable of. Let's go to that point in your life. I mean, when you talk about doubters and haters, I literally have nightmares about some of those people sometimes. I'll wake up. Even now? Yeah, you still be, now. Mate, you've sold tens of millions of records. No, it still chases me. I told you there's always that shadow around. It's less so now. I said to my wife, I'm in the, I think I'm in the happiest point of my life now. Uh, but I'm still trying to get myself to understand that. Mm. But I'll have a nightmare that, you know, I'm my stepdad's screaming at me. Do you know what I'm saying? Or, you know, the amount of people that have said to me, I think I started Jax Jones when I was 25, 26. The amount of people that said like, oh, you'll never be able to finish a record. I was in a band signed to, after sessioning, I joined a band and I remember the A&R said to the producers, oh, just keep Jax Jones, Tim and out of the studio. He's not, he's, he doesn't know what he's doing. And you carry all of that. For me, when I think about hard work, there is an element of sacrifice. That's the bit that I guess people, when I see things now, like little headlines, like, oh, do you know, you be who you are, who you want to be and this, like, or people talk about entrepreneurism now and all that. And there's immense sacrifice with this. And for me, I didn't have any social life. I still don't now. You know, it was the first thing to go because I would spend hours doing what I think I need to be doing to prepare myself. Yeah, It can be very lonely, you know, because you're in a situation where other people perhaps don't have the same dream as you or they think you're being too ambitious. I remember I used to get told like, oh, you know, you're really arrogant about it because you're trying to do something that seems inconceivable. It's the willingness to do it that keeps you performing again and again and again. And sometimes I get tired, do you know what I mean? You know, you're like, I want to stop, but I still have that energy. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So the success doesn't take away the energy of wanting to prove people wrong, wanting to no. get that success that was that fire that was lit in you as a young kid. The success but doesn't take that away, but it also sounds like the success doesn't make you happy. I mean, no, I don't. There are people yeah. listening to this, want to be musicians, want to be actors, entrepreneurs, whatever, thinking, how can that guy? I mean, like you put a Jack Jones song on, right? Every single person in this room would know it. In my kids, like when I said you were coming on the podcast, my little dancer daughter, I had your do 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 do. That's probably cost us money, but <laughs> so the point is, like people. Listening to this, think that is where the joy is. That's where the happiness is. That's where you finally go, ha, I did it. How the hell did you get to 2020 and not have any joy? There were moments of happiness, guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember that song that I talk about here, I Got You. It was uh, my favorite times in my career is now, actually, but also that 2013 moment and ironically, that time in the garage, because 
so 2013, we'd been I was signed to Atlantic Records, and we'd been dropped. And this was because from sessioning, I felt okay. Sessioning, I still have to go to work to get paid. I'd never taken a day off until or holiday ever really until I was like 27. Uh, my wife convinced me basically. We've been to my, my wife. We've been together for 11 years, so she knows me. How did you guys meet? I was in my band and we went to, um, she thought I looked like Bruno Mars and our friend introduced us. We had a mutual friend and like she called me a dickhead when she first met me because I had a nose piercing in my, I was doing all the shit that people in bands do, like get tattoos because they're bored and get yeah. piercings and all that shit. The cliche. The cliches. I was doing, I was still figuring myself out, do you know what I mean? And then um, I remember she said I was so badly dressed as well. Um, and then <laughs> we, we went on three dates because I had this idea that... Um, I could accelerate like the getting to know you process by going on three dates in one night. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was like, well, it'll feel like you've known each other your whole life. Surely. <laughs> so and, what did you do? Like go, go apart and then come meet? No, no, no. Later. So we just go to three different places. Oh, right. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay. Like, and then I remember, yeah, I just thought she was fascinating. I still do. She's one of the, most secure people I've ever met in my life. So it's so, I like to watch her a lot to learn things. But I'm intrigued as to, like you said that you often, like you can be cold, you anticipate being rejected. You know, you're, you don't, you find it hard to make friends. What did she do to get over those barriers that you put up? I think she allowed me to be, I think. And my wife is very, very patient but also very confident in herself. She was unwavering. So I can push against her and she sees it all, do you know what I'm saying? But then is able to able to hold amongst that. Mm. And it just became very safe. When I think of my wife, it's so safe. And it's very, she comes from a very different background to me. I can't believe I'm saying it. It's like Grimsby was almost exotic to me. It's like, wow, this is, she has a beautiful family. She's 30 people in their family in Grimsby, that small community kind of thing. And I just thought, this is amazing. And they all love each other and they all work really hard on their relationships. And she herself is like a linchpin. We always say like, if, if, if you're falling out with Deondra, then you, it must be you. Cause she's, <laughs> she's the bridge. She's like, she just will give it everything. And so it, it's, it's just, everything I never had really. I love it when you say she just let me be me because it's like, you know, your early upbringing was either giving you yeah, yeah. over positive information or negative information. Is there a power, do you think, for people listening to this in just allowing people, you don't have to have an opinion about them. You can just let them be who they, who they want to be. That's the ideal. Yeah. And I think within a family set up, there is a balance because I've been thinking about this with my daughter. She's got a very different life to me. The only way I know is sacrifice and stress to get what you want. So how do I let her just be? And I think there is power in you being comfortable with the you as you are and the people around you. But there's also power in knowing that you do have to offer value at points and step up to things. And it's that middle ground, not being so binary where your self-esteem is affected by such. I'm trying to do it where it comes from a place of love. So I think just being is cool, but also sometimes you've got to be a bit greater than yourself. Then perhaps you didn't know you had to be, didn't know that you had it. So I still subscribe to a growth mindset 
I still subscribe to the idea that I might, I want to be better than who I was yesterday, but it comes from a place of not for you, it's for me. Tell us a little bit more about your relationship though, because you speak about a narrative and the journey that you're on in terms of your career, but it seems that it coincides with your relationship of finally finding a place where you could <laughs> be you, where you could belong, where you could almost plug the gaps that you didn't have in your own childhood. So we met just, as I said, I was getting dropped and I was trying to figure out what I was needed to do next. And uh, her dad was pretty successful. And I, I remember I was telling her, you know, I remember the first date we went on, I brought out a 50 pound note and I paid for our little smoothie with the little 50 pound note. I think I was trying to show off. And then she Big says, time. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was all I had at the time. Bro. <laughs> um, but she used to literally sit with me and tell me why I should give a shit about myself. And we used to do 10 things to love about yourself. Do you know what I'm saying? And so we'd sit and she'd write me these letters for me to hold on to. I still keep them. I would reflect on them. And I remember, so 2013, I got you. When I made that song, it was about her, really. Um, I sampled Whitney Houston, My Love Is Your Love, which I think is a beautiful song. And then I made it into this kind of Balearic house record. I made it on my birthday. The demo was called The Birthday Song. And I'd even sampled for the intro her cousins, her little young nine-year-old cousins singing me happy birthday. And it's in the record. It's like buried in there, yeah. And I played it to her. I remember she was in bed at the time, just like, it was like early. I was like, oh, listen to this. She goes, I love that. Like, it's beautiful. And then I went to lunch, you know, as you do on your birthday. And then that song ended up, you know, getting Grammy nominated and Brit nominated. Uh, it was a number one record. And I remember thinking it was just a really pure moment. And I'd never done house music, really. That was like the second, third house record I'd made. Uh, I grew up on hip hop and R and B, as and like uh, predominantly black music. You know, although like house is a black genre in its roots, but dance music was very foreign to me in that respect. But I put all that soul into it, and like those chapters define our life. Do you know what I mean? Like all the way. So when we got married in two thousand and eighteen, uh, that was the song you know that we first danced to, man. <laughs> so nice. There's a line in the manifesto where you said that. The tunes coming now are shaped by joy, not trends. So I wonder whether you're now making music with more freedom than you've ever made it before and what that does for you. Oh, mate. The phys I am making music with more freedom and there is a physical representation of it because when I'm in the studio with people that have known me for years, they all say to me, you just seem happier, bruv. You just seem lighter. I said, I am. I'm just doing me now, you know. I'm the most inspired I've ever been. And that's because I started to search for the, to take back the records and that time of my life in my teens. I'm reclaiming it for myself. And there's a ways you could do it. Like some artists interpret that as I'm going to talk about mental health in my songs. Yeah. Talk about my journey. But I'm a dance music producer and I'm not singing yet, <laughs> perhaps. But like, as I said, how can I put narrative into this? And so for me, it's 
using that Andy Warhol approach of mashing pop culture. So taking those uh, uh, songs that were familiar to me as a 16 year old, 18 year old, those times of our lives, they're so important to us. You, you meet people when they're 30, they ain't listen to a record that's yeah, yeah. past that yeah. time of their life. So taking all those sounds, the fashion and mashing them together and making it my own today in 2023. And it's allowing me to relive those experiences positively. And it's been so liberating all those times because I used to use that music to give me fuel. You know, when it would get heavy at home, I'd just go out on my bike and I would have my little Walkman. I battered those Walkmans like, and just listen to the music again and again and again. It was therapy for me. You know what I'm saying? So to be able to go and revisit those sounds, like whether it's the uh, Euro dance vibes or the R&B hip hop aesthetic and putting it into my music now, is it, it feels great. You used the phrase that the feedback that you've had in the studio from people that know you is a lightness, which to me doesn't seem like an accident because you've also sp spoken about the shadow. So casting light on the shadow is almost a metaphor for what you've described when you look back over what might have been a traumatic childhood through one lens. You're now able to cast it in a more positive light, shine the light on the benefits that you got from it. How have you done that? And how can our listeners that maybe are struggling with being able to carry that weight or to live with that shadow how could they do it i want to frame how i say this by saying that it works for me yeah and i think being careful with advice because my personality is different from yours but if there's some energy you can take from this take it for me it was about making decisions that i knew perhaps that were difficult but that would allow me to get better than what I had before. So even if I didn't want to do it, so, and that sometimes is hard. So it would be when I'm presented with a situation, it's like, oh, I don't know if I'm good enough to do that. I don't know if I can be in that room. I don't know if I feel like doing this today, but I know that if I do do that, I'm going to get one step closer to an idea that I won't be in this situation no more. I turn up. And I just do it. I still have it now, you know, where I'm traveling around the world and, you know, I'm finding less time to make music. So I'm shaping my life now where my, my team thought I was mad. I was like, I only want to do 25 shows this year, make them important. But what moves the needle is making music. And that's how we speak to people. That is what gives us the most joy. So I follow that joy and I make the critical decisions to allow me to be in that joy as much as possible. So you have to design your life and that is tricky because they're going to be people that say, you can't do that. What about us? You have to be so resolute in that respect. I'm not saying be so cruel, but you have to protect yourself in that respect. Follow the joy and know that it's a work in progress as well. And you kind of, to be compassionate to yourself at the same time while you're doing it. I think that's an important point, actually. You know, what we don't want to do is sit here and go, Tim had a really traumatic upbringing, but then lockdown came and he had an epiphany and now he's happy. Like, that's not real life, right? No, you know, no. These, <clears throat> the shadow's still there, the nightmares are there sometimes. And, the, 
you know, everything passes. You know, now things are great, but that doesn't mean they will always be great. But also it means that when they're not great, then they can be great again. They can be great. Look, like, it's all relative. You can kind of, there is a, what's meant to happen, in my opinion, when you get to a, a certain age is, it's meant to come together. You're meant to have, the idea is you build up these decisions and then eventually you get to a point where, oh, do you know what? It's actually, my life is working mm. for me now. I've got less negative people around me. I've got perhaps the people that I found triggering for me. I've drawn those boundaries and it's healthier or I've had to move on from those situations. Like I'm doing it now with, okay, how much time do I want to spend doing work? How much time do I want to spend with my family? What does that look like? And believe me, even within that, in my little world, it's hard. Like, because when I'm spending time with my family, which is super important to me because I want to be delivering on everything. I, I remember a Will Smith quote saying, people need to work as hard on their family as they do on their business. And if you did, you'd probably have a really good family life. Yeah, yeah. So I give it my all. I'm thinking about how I can be better. But that ghost sometimes is shouting at me when I'm hanging out with my kid. But what about all that work you got to do? What about all of this? So it's aggressive sometimes, man. And you, you're kind of half in, half out. So it's hard. The challenge is still. But the reason why I say it's the happiest because I've made some tough calls. And so the good outweighs the bad. Okay. But you, you operate in an industry that is dominated by chart position and sales, right? Yeah. You know, you will lose your job or you lose your deal if you if you aren't commercially successful because that's the world. So where are you at now with that? You've you said in the manifesto, happiness is rooted in circumstance, joy is unwavering. Is joy still unwavering if the new Tim, the new Jax Jones, operating with freedom? finally telling the world the truth about his story, which, by the way, I wish you'd done it years ago because it would have been freeing for you, but I'm so pleased you have because it is I an incredible you. story. Thanks for giving me the platform, I guess. Thank you for coming <laughs> and talking to us. But where does the joy sit if the new you isn't as commercially as successful as the Tim who was driven by trauma? I hear that. It ain't happened yet. You, <laughs> do you think about but, it? Do you worry about it? I do, man. If I lose that sense of identity that I have will I fall apart? I can't give you the answer yet. I still think my best work is yet to come because I'm removing where I drove my music to have perfection. You know, there's a big part of my process is trying to like think of my music a bit like a, a whiskey that's been aged in a certain way and everything or watch like you know this idea of everything works in a certain way everything in my music is there for a reason and so i'd like to distill it to its simplest form so that's why sometimes i get accused of being simple but that's actually the joy that i take in making music this idea of perfectionism now i'm interested in the idea of reducing that perfectionism keeping the flaws in there yeah, yeah. keeping the the human element in there and seeing what that feels like will that translate more or resonate more for me or with people and the the first foray into that was where did you go uh, which came out last year and at the time no one was doing the euro dance thing no one was referenced i think my references for that was akon and like um <laughs> like and then a, a, a period of music which sometimes you know dance 
uh, chin strokers looked down on. Do you know what I'm saying? Like uh, the 90s Eurodance era. And it was the second biggest song on radio last year, you know, just behind Harry Styles. I do love that song as it was. It's a great record. <laughs> um, you know, and so it was a real moment for me because I was like, do you know what? I can do my thing and it can be successful. Yeah. How far can I go with that? But also now being a dad, it, when I held my daughter in my arms, it was the first time that I was living outside of myself. I was like, wow, there's someone here that I have to give more than I'm getting. And it's like as selfless act as I can. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And that has been really liberating for me because it was the first thing that I'm not serving myself. So for me, I guess I'll just uh, do more dad <laughs> and try and, you know, and probably perhaps say, do you know what? Yeah, it's cool, man. I'm, I'm not as successful as I used to be. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> we're uh, we're going to move on to quick fire questions in a moment. Let's go. But before we do, when you are making music, I'm so interested in the instinct that comes with that, but not just your instinct, the people in the room around you. How do you choose who gets to sit in a room with you and pass judgment over an unfinished Jax Jones tune? That's such an interesting question. I like that. I have actually some firm rules about this. Because you have to be careful. I don't play anyone anything. Is that right? Mm. And if I do, it's the same people. I actually also do not pass comment on people's music because I don't have all the answers. I might not understand where you are. But isn't it important also to take criticism, feedback, to feel, feel like that's where you can grow, right? You know, you've got to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Absolutely. It's funny. Feedback can be interesting. If I do play something and to someone and it's finished, I consider it finished or close to finishing. Like at that point where, you know, where we're fighting for 2%, we're talking about margins here. I like to share it with people that don't have anything to do with the music industry and just live a normal life. Sometimes they'll go, what do you want me to say? Just listen to it. And I watch your, I use, I read your body language I and I just that. like watching your face and watching how it makes you feel. And I can tell if you're being genuine, you know, and the, I like to play it to those kind of people. And then I know if I got one. <laughs> It's great. So what's been the experience when you know that you've got one then? It's the greatest feeling in the world. <laughs> right, quick fire questions. Are you ready for them? Let's go. What are your three non-negotiables that you and the people around you need to buy into? I, I'm always developing myself. Growth mindset. Do what you say you're going to do. I hate it when people just are flaky, bruv. Because it sends my, my... I'm up the wall. I'm, my back's up when that happens. And... Look after your body, because then that fuels everything else. What's your greatest strength and your biggest weakness? My greatest strength is my unlimited energy to chase my goal. And that's also my greatest weakness. Where were you? Where are you today? Where are you going? Right now, a dad, a music maker, and trying to be better at both of those things. And then in the future, I'm trying to be one of the, one of the greats. <laughs> say it. Yeah, come on. Say it. <laughs> okay, yeah. was there a moment where you thought, do I say it? Do I say it? <laughs> Five, 10 years time, where would you, like, if you, when you close your eyes and think, what do you think? What do you see? I imagine being at peace 
with my family around me, loads of massive hit records. And we're just taking a walk, man. <laughs> I love that. You've had the success, but you're in the right place. What's the biggest misconception or thing that people get wrong about you? I've got everything under control. <laughs> <laughs> What's your final message to people listening to this um, about chasing their own version of high performance? You know, for someone who has had such incredible success, for someone who has such optimism about the fact that the best days are yet to come, but also has been standing alongside those people who come to this podcast because they're currently in the midst of the struggle that you've been in. What is your final message to people? What would you like to leave ringing in their ears? Do what you need to do to make your life what you want it to be. Doesn't matter what anyone says. Doesn't matter what happened to you. If I can do it, you can. You already have it in you. Just go. Listen, can I just say thank you so much for coming on here and choosing this platform to share so much with us. And uh, part of me has this kind of feeling like I wish you'd gone and done this work so many years ago because you could have been free for so long. But then I also, at the same time, I think things happen at the right time for people, right? If they just, as you say, you trust in the process and allow yourself to grow and develop. And this was obviously the right time for growth to happen for you. Um, and, you know, a guy to take all that trauma from his childhood and a global pandemic combine the two to manage to create a positive <laughs> outcome. It's like you must almost feel bulletproof from what else the world can throw at you because, you know, to see that growth is uh, is humbling, man, and I really appreciate it. I appreciate it. That means a lot coming from you guys, man. Thanks. Thank you so I'm much. I'm excited for what's to come next. Let's go, man. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you. Damien. Jake. How often are we going to sit here and say, that was fascinating. It's like, it's a reminder that everyone has a story to share. And in in the case of Tim, it takes real bravery to get to a point in your life where you're happy to share that story. Yeah, I found it, again, a, a common phrase we often use in this bit of the re, of the review is how humbling it is that somebody is prepared to make themselves so vulnerable to come and share their story with us and by definition with anybody that's listening to this. There's a lot of research, isn't there, into trauma leading to triumph. It's something that, you know, whether it was people being persecuted during the Second World War or guests who've joined us on the High Performance Podcast, you know, there's there's a lot of research into the fact that really, really traumatic, difficult, hard periods can still lead to people finding fulfilment and happiness in the future. Yeah, it's referred to as post-traumatic growth. I think we're really familiar with post-traumatic stress, the idea of being stuck in a moment and, and it causing us damage or, or, or struggle. But post-traumatic growth is almost like the lesser-known cousin that says, when you can make sense of those experiences, you can ask the question, well, what is this going to do for me in the future? And you can use it as a catalyst, like what Tim's described really powerfully to do that. But I think the key is what he described there of one of our previous guests, if people are interested in going back and exploring the archive, was Dr. Pippa Grange, who spoke about uh, living a fearless life. And one of the techniques he spoke out there was to see, to face and replace. And I think what Tim described was what Pippa advocates of, to be able to see that shadow on your shoulder and rather than just run from it in the fear of that critical voice that he described, to stop and face it and to recognise who is this, what's it telling me, has allowed him to replace the shadow with the lightness 
that has used it as a catalyst to go on and grow. And I think it's easy for people who either haven't had that trauma or people who haven't lived a life like Tim's to say, well, does it really matter? Does it really matter that he's managed to find the joy in this because he was already living a great life? He already had kids. He already had a successful music career. You know, what more does he want? But when he says that he got to the, you know, the, the pandemic and the world shut down, and for many, many people, that was the first time that they were forced to look inward yep. and to not fill their lives with all of the things that effectively distract them from the truth, right? The first time he had to look at himself, he lost his love for music. He lost his joy. He, like, his, his exact words, I was mad depressed. Yep. For people that are skeptical about, does it matter overcoming that trauma from the past? Well, there's your answer. Because he now talks about deep joy. He now talks about freedom. He now talks about the best is yet to come and he's excited about his future. Before he'd done this work on himself, he was still the guy that created Jax Jones and sold tens of millions of records. But the joy had gone. Yep. And that was nothing to do with not loving music anymore and not loving his partner or his newborn child or his life. It was because of the, the, the shadows that he discusses being behind him. Yeah, and again, like... This is such a common thread, and therefore, if it's common enough, we need to explore it in more detail. Do you remember when Max Whitlock came and spoke to us around? He had a similar experience to what Tim's described of you've won multiple gold medals, and yet going for the Paris Olympics filled in with just apathy and inertia rather than the pleasure of going and doing something that you really love, similar to Tim's loss of music making and the joy that it gave him. So I think there's enough of a pattern that we see through so many of our guests that we need to go and explore these areas of what brings us joy, what makes us happy, and see the composite parts of it in our lives and make sure that, he used that lovely phrase about, I've designed my life to bring me more of these moments. And I think the idea of not just filling it with busyness and activity, but meaningful activity is the key element of what I've taken from Tim's message. I love that. Mate, it was a pleasure to sit alongside you again. The honour's mine. Thank you. And that's the end of today's episode. Um, as always, huge thanks goes to you for growing and sharing this podcast among your community. Huge thanks to Timichin for coming on this podcast and telling us the truth about his life. Um, as you heard, hugely moving. So much to take away from that. If you want to watch as well as just listen to this conversation, you can do so by checking out High Performance on YouTube. And listen, we only want one thing just one thing from you in return for the content that we're creating. And that's for you to share it. Please remember there is no secret guys. It is all there for you. So chase those world-class basics. Don't get high on your own supply. Remain humble, curious, and empathetic. And we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. 